0: They can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zeppound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit slash weight loss. That's slash weight loss.
3: This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20 year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca/canadaland to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca/canadaland. to help Cam H treat addiction and build hope. A warning to listeners that this episode deals in depth with anti-indigenous racism.
1: There is a traditional dance in Canada. It starts with denial, the media pressure increases, the facts become irrefutable and somebody loses their job and somebody apologizes and the regular Canadian dance apology happens. It's almost like, and I, I don't mean to make light of this because these are tragedies. People die and, and, and families have losses, but somebody says they're sorry and it's almost like musical chairs. Somebody is left standing and loses their job and that, and that is expected as part of the Canadian protocol of we did wrong. Thunder Bay is utterly immune to that level of shame. I have never seen anything like it. It emboldens them. It actually emboldens the bad actors. There are virtually no consequences. The chief of police decided it was time to
3: retire. That was human rights lawyer Julian Faulkner in a clip that you might remember from our series, Thunder Bay. Now that show came out four years ago, but what Faulkner said back then is once again, highly relevant because that dance that Julian Faulkner described that cycle of denial, recognition, apology, and then amnesia. Well, it's cycled again and it's reset. It's back to square one in Thunder Bay amnesia after our podcasts by Ryan McMahon, after Tanya Talaga's book about the suspicious deaths of indigenous youth in Thunder Bay's waterways, the fact that there is systemic racism in Thunder Bay, racism that is specific but not limited to systemic racism in the Thunder Bay police force, that fact became irrefutable. Rendering that fact irrefutable was a struggle. It was labor. It was labor that was done for years by the indigenous people, of Thunder Bay. It was labor done by many journalists, including Ryan McMahon and our team here at Canada Land. It was labor that was then picked up and the facts reaffirmed by two reports from external government bodies outside of Thunder Bay. One was the report from the Senate, from Senator Marie Sinclair, and another external report from the province of Ontario's Office of the Independent Police Review Director, the OIPRD. And it was Jerry McNeely, the guy who wrote the OIPRD's report called Broken Trust, he spoke at a press conference in words more blunt than I have ever heard from the author of a report from a government oversight body.
1: I found that in my review of cases, Thunder Bay Police Service investigators, they failed on an unacceptably high number of occasions to treat or protect the deceased and his or her family equally and without discrimination because, because the deceased was indigenous. We conducted 36 interviews with Thunder Bay service members in the course of our review. We encountered a wide range of beliefs and attitudes. Some expressed very disturbing views. While these views were expressed by a minority of officers, they were expressed by more than just a bad few apples. Mm We also heard from both indigenous and non-indigenous community members who described troubling attitudes, statements and actions by officers. Overall, overall, I found that systemic racism exists in Thunder Bay Police Service at an institutional level.
3: All right, so that presentation of fact At long last, so hard won, the irrefutable fact of systemic racism in the Thunder Bay Police Service, it received a standing ovation. And for a moment, it seemed like maybe things were going to change. There were concrete steps demanded, recommendations set, promises made, and policing in Thunder Bay had nowhere to hide. Things would have to change. And then, last month, A string of shocking news stories threw cold water on those high hopes. Headlines read that the Thunder Bay Police Service was on the brink of collapse. Now, that was a quote, and it did not come from a journalist or a podcaster or a human rights lawyer or from a senator. Those words came from the woman who, until very recently, was the chair of the Thunder Bay Police Board. The story of that collapse, as details emerge, is wild. Cops are turning against cops in Thunder Bay in a way that I frankly have never seen before anywhere. And as expected, whistleblowers are getting punished and shut down. This time with a bizarre porno bombing, a hack of a press conference that was held on Zoom. John Thompson is a local reporter in Thunder Bay who helped produce and report our podcast, Return to Thunder Bay with Ryan McMahon. And John Thompson joins me in a minute to fill me in on what is going on since I last checked. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Philip Wen, Joshua Pruden, Graham Thompson, Samuel Tisi, Russ Manik, Rick Helgeson, Doug Borch, and Johnny.
0: Hi, I'm Johnny. I'm an electrician in Vancouver, and I support Canada Land because I believe that it's important to have independent journalism that keeps tabs on issues that bigger outlets may not cover, like the police brutality at Ferry Creek, and to have investigative series like Commons and White Saviors to show that Canada isn't always as polite as people might think.
3: John Thompson. What's happened since? I think we
2: could start from the very next day after those reports came down or even the day of. The mayor, Bill Morrow, immediately said that racism does exist here, but racism exists everywhere. And that was perceived by a lot of people as possibly minimizing that. This is a line Morrow continues to toe today.
3: There is
1: so much good work going on and the police service is doing their best. And for those of us that are my vintage and perhaps even a bit younger. We're not used to this in Thunder Bay. We
3: all grew up very fortunate place, uh, but the world has found us, and and it's not the same place that we grew up in.
2: The following day, from all of the officers that we've been able to speak to, there was no follow-up of any kind. There was no email sent, there was no meeting, there was no sort of messaging from leadership whatsoever. And I think that really got things off on an angle that, that it was apparent that the power structure didn't accept the findings.
3: And in terms of like the tangible action, one thing that they, I guess I kind of concluded that this was like going to happen, that they ordered it and that it wasn't just a suggestion that everybody's got to take racism training. We need a new board and we need to reopen these investigations into a bunch of these indigenous teen deaths because racism prevented them from being adequately investigated. Did any of that stuff happen?
2: So the report that came back to the board last month was that the police service has now completed 80% of those recommendations. So it has created a major crimes unit, which you might have in a city that has the highest murder rate per capita in eight of the last 11 years. You might have improved forensics. They've revamped and rebuilt the Indigenous Liaison Office. They've trained officers how to communicate with the coroner, because in many cases, there were issues where it wasn't clear that officers understood what the coroner's Function was and reduce those deaths to the findings of how they died and not the circumstances in which they died. There's name tags and there's body cameras, but that report that says that 80% of those have been achieved was a report written by the police for their board. And there's no actual independent oversight that stamps that as being true. You look at recommendation 3637, they have to design and implement anti-racism training. And so I reached out to the police and they told me that they've confirmed that 65 members have received their reconciliation training, another 24 in the spring. That's out of 343 total staff. And so they're planning to have their members take that training over the next 2.5 years. But in the report they issued to their board, it says that they've completed that recommendation.
3: John, as part of the broken trust report, which was when the provincial police review director, the office of the independent police review director, independently assessed the Thunder Bay cops, and they came out with this broken trust report. Jerry McNeely, who you've mentioned, who led the review, he promised
1: oversight would be a part of his role. Indeed, I will monitor and report to the public the extent to which my recommendations are implemented the community is entitled to no less. That represents my commitment to Indigenous people, Thunder Bay Police Service, and a broader community. It is responsible for serving. Thank you, Mick Rich. Thank you.
3: John, what became of that? Have you, have you heard anything about the outcome of those promises?
2: Uh, Jerry McNeely was no longer with the OIPRD very shortly after The broken trust report came out. There was a six month report that came back. There was a one year report that came back. And I just received confirmation from them today that it is the responsibility of the police services board to oversee the police service. And so the independent uh, oversight that they're continuing what they're calling monitoring, they're continuing to monitor the situation. But they've given us no indication that we are to expect any sort of accountable reporting to the public.
3: Right. So far, what we've got is a very frustrating story of nothing happening, it seems to me, which maybe that's what news reports should be about, is the way that systems replicate themselves and and fail to evolve and progress. But that's not why you and I are talking today. We're not talking today because nothing has happened. Some pretty wild shit has happened. and, And that's sort of what has prompted this conversation. Can you fill me in on that?
2: In October, Indigenous board member Georgianne Morrisau filed a human rights complaint against the leadership of the police and members of the board and the secretary, and separately, between 8 and 11 and counting, officers have filed human rights complaints against their leadership. The deputy chief of the police has been suspended, and the OCPC that oversees police bodies is now once again investigating the Thunder Bay Police Service.
3: So just that? Yeah. (laughs) We're firmly in Thunder Bay territory. I don't even know where to begin. Uh, So Georgianne Morisot is the Indigenous member. uh, She was the chair of the new police board. So I, I take it that this was a reformer, like we need a new board. And this was the woman who was brought in to oversee that board. Who is Georgianne Morisot?
2: Yes, she was board chair, but that's since changed. Georgianne Morrisau is now just a member of the police board. Georgianne Morrisau is a former chief of Fort William First Nation. At one point, she put in to run as the liberal candidate in the South Riding in Thunder Bay. She was also the Indigenous spokesperson for Resolute, which is Canada's largest forestry company.
3: So this is a woman with an impressive CV, both from the private sector and from leadership positions, political, indigenous leadership. And she's installed to oversee this new new day, this new page for Thunder Bay Police. And now she's launched – help me sort through this because it seems like there's just a flurry of accusations and counter-accusations. She has launched a human rights complaint against the police chief –
2: When Ryan McMahon and I were were making the Return to Thunder Bay series, she said something about how she wasn't sure how much longer she was going to be able to be the chair of the board, just as we were cleaning up. And we didn't have any insight into it at the time. But what had happened was she was out with her family in the summer of 2020, shopping at HomeSense. An officer approached her and told her a rumor. She did not recognize the officer. We're in COVID. Everybody's wearing masks. And... Um, What was the rumor and the rumor was that a certain officer was leaking information to a Facebook page that is known for its racism classism sensationalism just seeing mostly poor people and people with mental health and drug addictions at their worst.
3: Is this the same page that is the real concerned citizens of Thunder Bay? We covered that in the podcast, that this was the sort of tabloidy community news site. And and then the guy behind it himself uh, met a tabloid end.
2: Yeah, it's the sister page to that. Pino DiMazzi is who you're referring to. He met untimely end from an overdose himself. But he was pushing overdoses as stories on social media.
3: Poverty porn posts and videos of addicts while he himself was an addict. This is how a lot of people were getting their news in Thunder Bay. So the cops were leaking information to, the, or at least the rumor goes, that, that somebody in the police was leaking information to this page?
2: Yeah, and they're huge. Like, only the CBC has a bigger online footprint. Almost every other journalist in town combined
3: doesn't meet the audience of these sites What kind of information were the police allegedly leaking to this page? And why would the police be leaking information to a page like that? It's not
2: entirely clear in this case, but I can tell you that the way that that site runs their posts is publishing an accused person's entire criminal history, putting details that would have been in officer notes. What it appears is happening is that officers are leaking that information out the side door and the way that it's transcribed or the way they post it up is the quote, hardworking people of the, of the Thunder Bay police service. And so there's a very like thin blue line political
3: culture to it. So the rumor is that the cops themselves are leaking information to this page and somebody shares this information with Georgianne Morris. So while she's shopping, I guess like you should know there's a problem with the cops. Some of my colleagues have been leaking this information. And then what happens?
2: She takes it to the leadership and instead of looking into the leak, she claims that they instead started an investigation into her. The the police chief had her investigated by the OPP for breach of trust. She's not to be speaking to, to officers as a member of the board. The board responds to the leadership. And uh, ultimately, the OPP found no breach of trust or any other criminal wrongdoing in that case.
3: It's a very serious thing you just described. Like, she is trying to provide oversight of the police... And she's trying to address a problem with how information is moving and finds herself under criminal investigation.
2: Yes. And so she's concerned that that wasn't taken seriously when she brought them that information for this investigation that they're allegedly doing. And then she believes that they turned it back on her.
3: So I guess so much for this reformer and the reason why we're talking about it is not just because she filed the human rights complaint, but because she went public.
2: She files a second human rights complaint. Because the board then allegedly tries to remove her over leaking the first complaint to the Globe and Mail. And then she suggests that there's reprisal, retaliation, uh, naming all board members, uh, including the mayor and the board secretary and the new chair, and alleging that they made racist comments to her over the process of doing this.
3: I first got clicked back into this when she went public and said that not just her own complaints about what was done to her, but that the police service itself was, the quote was, on the brink of collapse.
1: George Ann Morisot says leadership of the Thunder Bay Police Service
2: is, quote, morally bankrupt and needs to go. The police board member and former chair is one of 11 people filing human rights complaints against the force. And today, she outlined her frustrations at a virtual news conference before
3: that conference was hacked. The story took this bizarre twist because she had a press conference to present her, I guess, allegations. And that turned into a shit show that I, I don't even think I could attempt to describe. Can you?
2: So she released the statement on Monday that the police service was on the brink of collapse. And by Thursday, when she held press avail and on a Zoom meeting, a user shows up named Thunder Bay Police. And on a hot mic, you can hear them joking about what name they ought to change it to. So
3: this is like a Zoom meeting where anybody can log on and whatever you've got your Zoom settings to, it'll, it'll show who's in attendance. And one of the accounts that pops up, somebody who's there ostensibly, I guess, to listen in, The username is Thunder Bay Police. And
2: and anybody who's been in a Zoom meeting knows that when somebody's on the mic, their username flashes across the page when it does it too. And so they were joking and they were talking and debating what name they ought to change it to. The police say that they're investigating who that might have been now. for, for For anybody who's wondering, they went with Todd in the end.
3: So perhaps not even realizing that they could be heard, they realize after logging on that they're publicly visible as Thunder Bay police. And then they say, what should we change it to? And then suddenly the username changes to Todd. Right. And they certainly didn't think they could be heard. So then she goes to deliver her press conference and say what she needs to say.
0: Not just about me, but it's to demonstrate and show the public that this is what the leadership did to me and I'm on the board. My story reflects that of many others within the service, and they can't speak out. They can't, it's hard, it's difficult, they're disempowered, right? Especially the ones who, who, who come forward. So when I say it's on the brink of collapse, it's because the board and the leadership are themselves on the brink of collapse because we fail to uphold our duty to the public. We fail to uphold our duty to the service and all the members and we failed to uphold public trust.
2: The media conference came to an abrupt halt during the Q&A portion when it was hijacked by a group of people playing loud music and sharing inappropriate content.
3: And then she can't finish because I guess you're not going to say that it was the Thunder Bay police because we don't know that for a fact. It could have been anybody on that call. But it was somebody on that call who who I guess hacked the meeting and and Uh, took it over somehow. And
2: what happened was somebody who uh, didn't want that meeting to be happening uh, for political reasons or just for chaos reasons, suddenly dropped pornographic images and blast beats until it had to be shut down.
0: Given that, um, uh, 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 um, okay. Um, (laughs) <laughs> so I'll just continue on that note. So the
3: whole... It was just, uh, as far as you could tell, like somebody was just making this impossible. And, and in fact, they did then end it before she could finish what she had to say.
2: That's correct. Uh, board member Moroso did not reach the end of, of the press conference in which she was going to make her statement to the media.
3: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. All right, that's insane. But I've almost forgotten about something that also sounded quite insane earlier, that, that, that she was not the only one to make human rights complaints. That that, that In fact, there are many others what can you tell me about that?
2: To date, there are eight officers and civilian members that have filed uh, with the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario, alleging that the leadership mistreated them. Most of them relate to post-traumatic stress. And it should be said that it's unusual for uh, for it to get to this point, even for a single officer, never mind the number that we're seeing here. So the trauma that these officers face is compelling. There was an incident in which an officer responded to a call where the victim in the scene uh, chopped his own head off with a saw. There was a scene where somebody was crushed with heavy equipment. An officer found another officer hanging in the woods. The mental health issues within the service are phenomenal. I mean, it's this is a this is a really huge issue. There's one lawyer that's handling. Both uh, board member Moroso's human rights complaint and those of the other officers, her name is Chantel Bryson, and this is what she told us about how PTSD complaints are handled.
0: There's often little to no attempt to return them to work in any capacity at all. And sometimes people are accommodated and, um, for instance, to courthouse duty instead of being on the road. That's called the land of broken toys, openly in the service. And the feeling of all the complainants is once you raise a mental health injury from the workplace within Thunder Bay Police Service, you're done. You're either looking to get permanent benefits or you're retiring under duress because they will come for you.
3: I guess, John, there's sort of like layers to my surprise here. I mean, I'll admit that I find it surprising to learn that cops have filed human rights abuses because it's just not something that I kind of imagine cops doing, which is not to say that they don't have cause to. These are complaints not because they were traumatized on the job, but because of the way in which the police service handled that trauma. And I mean, it, it, it bears repeating here Thunder Bay is wild. There is no reason to doubt that being a police officer in Thunder Bay would expose you to all kinds of horrific trauma and scenes that are difficult for anybody to endure. And then there's just a question of resource, just the the amount of homicide, the amount of crime and the extremity of these things in Thunder Bay put up against the level of resources and the amount of people handling it.
2: Well, and for us, like, you know how long we've been trying to get inside of that building. And what's happened over the past couple of weeks is it's just torn open. And we've been seeing for the first time what the toll is of what the officers and in the inside are saying. And it bears mentioning the union that represents them, the police association, is saying are unsuitable resources and workplace culture around, um, around mental health. You would think that there would be a supportive environment for officers when they feel like they reach the edge and that's not what they're saying if this paints a picture of a workplace that is resistant to supporting their staff right down to allegations that the police chief personally attempted to interfere and in one case successfully delayed the wsib claims of officers when they had physician notes Proving that they had post traumatic stress.
3: I mean, it's remarkable for cops to make allegations against cops, and the stories themselves sound really concerning. What is the story with the chief herself? Sylvia Hoth came in as the new chief in this new era of reform and reconciliation. And now here she is facing these complaints from her own officers from the board. So what's her status now? Uh,
2: Well, she was made chief by the previous board before it was dissolved and replaced with an administrator. That's one of the acts that they did late in their term prior to those reports being released. That was as a result of a nationwide search in which they chose the next person in line to become the the,
3: the chief of the Thunder Bay Police Service. Uh, But it's meaning that they looked looked all over the country for a candidate, and then they settled on the person who was already working there and was next in line for the job anyhow. That's correct.
2: But to limit it to the human rights complaints is to disregard that the association's internal survey of its members shows that 81% of officers are saying that they don't feel comfortable approaching management, especially regarding these these specific issues that are in the media, being the systemic racism problems. The OCPC is going to investigate the police chief, Sylvie Hoth, uh, deputy chief, Ryan Hughes, who has since been suspended, unrelated to this, we understand, and members of administration,
3: and that will include the board. The Ontario Civilian Police Commission is going to investigate, has been asked to investigate Thunder Bay Police Chief Sylvia Hoth, Like, John, this is like fascinating in its way as a big gnarly car crash can be kind of fascinating. But the thing that I think initially made people care about this town and its troubles to begin with, and the very thing that all of these reforms were supposed to speak to seems to have kind of been lost in the chaos here. How does all of this relate to the original problem that Thunder Bay is the hate crime capital of Canada and that it's police force is for a fact documented now journalistically uh, through independent review of multiple bodies, a racist police force that it was in dire need of reform what does all of this have to do with that? And specifically, what is the status of those reopened investigations into those Indigenous teen deaths?
2: Well, I think systemic racism in the police service is certainly the headline. So how does that relate back to this? Moroso's complaints due to the nature of the investigation into the page, into the, the Facebook page, uh, relates to that systemic racism. She claims that the systemic racism that she faced When she brought that complaint was a continuation of that. And there is one officer who is Indigenous among those that have filed human rights complaints. Uh, Constable Ken Ogama is Indigenous. He claims he was passed over 32 times for promotions. And that is apparently due to alleged infidelity in his romantic relationship, which is not happening at work and has nothing to do and was not investigated by the police and might have very little to do with his ability to do the job if he's promoted. They say that that reveals those systemic concerns. In addition to the role that the lawyer Chantel Bryson is playing in the Morisot complaint and all of the officer complaints, she's been with this story a long time. She was the uh, youth advocate during the seven youth inquest. They specifically designated a person to advocate from, for young people uh, reaching all across the region, And so this is what she had to say about how what's happening now reaches all the way back to what was happening then.
0: I think it's the same toxic culture producing the same behavior. There is a culture of denial of any failure in governance, any failure in leadership any failure in operations, there is an automatic reflex culture of denial, and they will use the same tools, smearing people in the media. So they make personalized attacks without addressing the allegations, without addressing their legal obligations that are in question. They'll, they'll come after the person Um, And it is to silence and deflect from the allegations of systemic racism, individual problems of racism, and now mental health discrimination and harassment. Um, It is the way they operate, and it's been very interesting to see that they operated the same way when I represented Feathers of Hope youth, so a group of about 200 young people from across the rural and remote um, Indigenous communities, um, that they treated them and their families and victims' families that way during the inquest in the media and otherwise. And now um, they're using the same tactics against their Indigenous board chair and now member uh, more so, and their own officers and civilian employees.
3: John, I know that you've reached out to the Thunder Bay Police for comment on this. Uh, what do they have to say? Uh,
2: the Thunder Bay Police Service is not commenting. Uh, they're saying that everything is, you know, they're letting the processes do their work at this point. The Police Association hasn't spoken to us and... Uh, The police board chair is not speaking to us. The police board secretary will not comment.
3: Seems like it's easier to get information through the associated Facebook page than it is through the official channels.
2: Well, and this is part of the problem is when information has been coming out in the public on this has been fogging the issues. On Bell Let's Talk Day, the police ran 10 photos of their staff members talking about how safe it was to come out with mental health issues at work, while like close to a dozen of their members are filing human rights complaints, most of which relate to uh, impropriety on behalf of the leadership because they can't get support for post-traumatic stress at work. Um, And in that climate, um, we requested interviews with Chief Hoth, and she wasn't doing them. And the only place that she did appear in media that week was on an hour-long interview on a local radio station in which she was talking about the proposed new police station that's going to cost, if it's eventually approved, $56 million. Uh, I want to start with something I think that's really important to share, and that that this conversation... Uh, has been in the works for some time, and this is something that we've planned. Uh, Regardless on what else might be going on in the news or currently, this conversation is going to focus on the building and the campus as we have planned. Uh, We will uh, stick to that throughout this conversation and look forward to another time to talk about some of the other issues that the police service is facing at another time. But today... It's all about the building.
3: Well, that's something. I don't think I've ever heard an interviewer be so proud of, of being so useless. Uh, this interview is going to focus on a building and just a building. John, I do understand that there's an importance in the role that media plays or could be playing or should be playing in this. And I think that it is terrible what you're describing what officers and board members uh, have been going through. But might all of this be obscuring the real issue and why people care about this to begin with the fact that indigenous people in Thunder Bay are not properly served by this police force. That they're discriminated against by this police force that seventeens died under strange circumstances and that the investigations into those deaths were inadequate and incompetent because of racism. They would have been different if these kids had not been indigenous that has been proven. So where are we at in terms of the external facing racism of the Thunder Bay police service, and the improvements that were supposed to be made to correct that?
2: Uh, That's a good question. And you're right to say, wait a minute, we're now looking at the inside of this instead of the outside. I think both matter, but the outside matters a lot. As part of the Broken Trust report, Jerry McNeely said that there were nine investigations that were done so poorly that they ought to be reinvestigated. Those have now been reinvestigated, and the results are being communicated to the families. The OIPRD told me today they're expecting that we're going to see those become public in the spring.
3: And those include some of those teen deaths, the teens who were found in the waterways yes. of Thunder Bay. And that leads
2: us all the way back to the youth inquest and very good work that was done by the CBC's Jody Porter and uh, Seven Fallen Feathers, a phenomenal book by Tanya Talaga.
3: John, where does this leave us? It does feel like Julian Faulkner's words were... Were prophetic that there is no level of shame and that we just cycle through this really grueling and and, and horrifying process of accusations and revelations uh, and recriminations and musical chairs of the people involved and then the new people involved fall into the same cycle of accusations recriminations pressure uh, lateral violence and. And 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 it just goes on and on.
2: Yeah. And here we are back in 2016, where the Ontario Civilian Police Commission is once again investigating the police and their board. And I think that it probably speaks to some extent to what is really meant by systemic racism. It's not just the people who are at the top. It's not just the people who are on the front lines. It's the system itself but it's also
3: them. Are there reasons to feel optimistic? Some people argue that change doesn't happen radically, that that y- yes, you can run the, the same program again and again, but there's incremental improvements. There is something very different in the national consciousness around systemic racism. There is something very different in the national consciousness around indigenous issues and reconciliation. Has any of that manifested itself in positive progress on the ground.
2: I was out with a reporter, uh, a new reporter to town who had worked in BC, and we were on the scene of a sudden death, and she noticed just how I was handling myself as if I had done this many times before. She says, you know, does this happen a lot? And I said, yeah. And she says, it seems like Thunder Bay is kind of behind. Where I came from lately in BC, you know, municipalities and the province is really starting to, to, to catch on to this. And I said, well, not really. I mean, it's more fair to say that it's being resisted. And you started that question with hope, and that's a hard one. A lot of people I talked to for this story, including officers, don't believe that this is gonna make any difference, no matter what the outcome is. And when this started breaking again, the, the feeling in the general public, you could feel it. People are upset. But there are so many people who love Thunder Bay who are doing everything that they can because they want to make a difference.
3: That's what we have for you today on Canada Land. If you like this show, please support it. Click the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com join. You can email me at jesse at I read everything you send. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is canadaland.com. New episode of The Backbench this week. Check it out. This episode was reported by John Thompson. It was produced with help from Cassidy Villaburn Barakas. Tristan Capicchione is our audio editor and technical producer. Our senior producer is Sarah Larniuk. Kieran Oudshorn is our managing editor. Theme music is by So-Called Syndication, handled by CFUV, 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like this show, please support us, help us make more. Go to canadaland.com join, click on the link in the show notes, get a t-shirt.